Good morning. This morning we'll be reading Psalm 9. I will give thanks to Yahweh with all my heart. I will recount all your wondrous deeds. I will be glad to exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have maintained my justice and my cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished, but Yahweh abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will render justice for the peoples with equity. Yahweh also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of distress. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, Have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to Yahweh, who abides in Zion. Declare among the peoples his acts. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have struck down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. Yahweh has made himself known. He has exalted judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forgot God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Yahweh, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Yahweh. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is the word of God. The title of today's message is Glory to God 
alone. God's glory or references to God's glory are found throughout the Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. More than 400 times God's glory is referred to in the Scripture. At times you will find the words kavod or kavod in the Hebrew or doxa in the Greek referring to the glory of God. It is a big idea in the Scripture. It is throughout the Scripture from beginning to end. It is a major theme. But it's not without its problems because it's hard to understand what we are getting at. Because when we talk about giving glory to God, we know that God is fully complete. That He is in need of nothing from us. He does not need our love. He does not need our friendship. He does not need our mercy. He needs none of these things, nor does He need glory from us. Yet we are called to glorify God. So if glory cannot be added to God, and His glory is complete and perfect as it is, how are we to glorify this God? in relation to the commands of Scripture. Think about this for a moment. We find in Exodus, we find that when Moses met with the Lord on Mount Sinai, and he returned from Mount Sinai, his face shone, reflected the glory of God. And the Israelites were terrified by what they saw. Or if you turn to, or if you consider Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, they were, okay, let me rephrase that a second. Adam and Eve made in the image of God. Prior to sinning, that image that they were made in was perfect. That means that they fully reflected the glory of God in who they were. They were. They reflected back to God who God was. After the fall, that image was fractured because of sin. They could no longer reflect back to God His glory because they were fully involved in their own glorification. They chose to glorify themselves above a holy and a righteous God. They did so in their disobedience to God, and that image was fractured. Man still created in the image of God, but unable to perfectly reflect the glory that God has, been, has bestowed upon man because of sin. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are created to glorify God in all that we do. We are created to give that glory to the Lord, not to ourselves. Isaiah 42.8 says that I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Or Isaiah 48.11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. God's glory is very important. Man was created to reflect the glory of the Lord back to the Lord. That image of man was broken at the fall. If you were to think of it like a mirror, that mirror was was fractured and was unable to reflect back God's glory after the fall. It is the idea of the sun and the moon where the moon reflects back the rays of light from the sun. Similarly, man was created to do the same such thing. And up until the fall, Adam and Eve were able to do that thing and all that they did by being obedient to the Lord following His commands. They reflected back to God His glory. Appropriately. There was a point in time, even late last night, uh, when I was thinking about renaming the title to this message to Orthodox. And I will explain if we think about Orthodox what it means, right? Ortho in the Greek means right or straight. Doxa means glory. When we talk about orthodoxy, it is giving right glory to God. Heterodoxy would mean different and crooked glory. Giving wrong glory to the wrong things. That's when we push those terms back to what their original meanings were. What we are talking about, or what we'll be talking about today, which David reflects in this psalm, is correct glory to the true God. In this psalm of David, it is the glory of God that is is propped up and is shown. It's the story of redemption itself, the restoration of man, to reflect the glory of God. The reflection and the glory of God only possible through the repentant, renewed heart of man. Only through the work of God to change that stone heart into a heart of flesh. So we will listen and hear what David has to say about God's glory. In verse 11 of Psalm 9, Sing praises to Yahweh. Sing praises to the triune God. The one who abides in Zion, declare among the peoples His acts. Yahweh is the only one worthy of praise. No man is worthy of praise, for all that a man has is from God Himself. 
our jobs, our families, our cars, our houses, our churches, our gifts from God. God alone is the God who saves. The one who does not forsake those who seek Him. The one who provides that safe harbor we spoke about last week for those that are found in the Lord. It is to this God, it is to Yahweh, whom David tells to sing praises. Yahweh who promises future deliverance. Sing praises to the only true God, David cries out. The one who created the world and all that is in it. The one who provided for Adam and Eve even after they sinned. The one who promised a Savior. The one who saved Noah and his family from the flood. The one who promised blessings to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who saved Israel through a parted sea. This one who David knows, the one who saved Israel from the Philistines, from Goliath. David knows intimately this God, the only true God. He knows the God who saves. Sing praises to Him is what David says, what he clearly says. One wonders what David would think walking into some churches some mornings to hear the singing. One wonders what David would think if he were to talk to people and say, well, I'm embarrassed to sing. Or, you know, that's just not me. David in God's Word says, sing praises to Yahweh without excuse. For He is the one that is worthy of praise and our praise. Sing praises to Him. This is His call. Sing praises to the Lord and glorify all that He is and all that He has done and all that He will do. Proclaim the Lord God who saves. He is the only one worthy of this praise. Why is He worthy of that praise? Because He is not us. Look to Numbers chapter 23. And I think when we consider that God is not like us and that He created us in His image to reflect who He is in all that we do, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not man that He should lie nor a son of man, that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not establish it? God does what he says he will do, and does what he says he is going to do in the future. God is true and just and righteous in all that he does. This God who abides, who inhabits Zion. Zion where the in two levels, 
Zion where the holy temple, not made with human hands, resides. The place where God exists or is established on His throne right as we speak. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels. We know that that our Lord and Savior has established our hope right in that place. We heard it in the song about Him being the anchor, and that is from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. This hope that we have, an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil, the heavenly veil, fully establishing us as saved for those who are found in Christ. So Yahweh, the Lord, the triune God, dwells in Zion as we speak. He abides in Zion, but we also know that David is speaking in this term too, that that the Lord Himself desires to dwell with His people. To dwell with those who believe in Him. To with those who trust in Him. To those who believe His promises. To those who trust in His promises. To those who seek shelter from the storm in Him. He dwells with His people. David knows this well because in the earthly Zion, where the temple is established, which also gives us an idea of when this psalm was written. Sometime after the temple was built. That this is the Lord's footstool. That this is where His presence descends once per year to be amongst His people. That they could look to the temple and see the representation of the God they serve. The God who saves. The God who saved them. Glory to God alone. Not to man. This God who desires to be with His people. This God who who provides for His people. This God whose grace is sufficient. This God whose mercy prevails. This is the God, this is Yahweh, the triune God who is worthy of all praise. The one whose works his people should be declaring to the nations of the world. Who they should be pointing all there is to the Lord God who has saved them. That all that they do in their lives, in their worships, point, worship points to Yahweh. That the nations on the outside, that they could embody that call that God said that I will make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, priests who serve the Lord in all that they do, whether they are farmers or leather workers or priests in the temple, that they would all be priests that point to God in all that they do and glorify God in all that they do so that the nations outside would see and know the Lord God because the people are glorifying Him in all that they do. Sing praise to this God is what David is saying. The God who rescues, the God who saves, declare this to the world. Look with me if you would, or turn with me if you would. Uh, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. 
the prophet Isaiah speaking, words not written directly to us, but for us. And in that day you will say, give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise Yahweh in song, for he has done majestic things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Do you know this God? Do you know the Christ that saves, we would ask? Have you seen the evidence in your life of this saving faith in the Lord? Do you tell others about the God who saves? Or, like many, as the preacher said long before me, they are willing to go to battle and face a hail of bullets, yet are embarrassed to declare the one who truly saves. Which one are you? John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me, Christ Jesus. Or 1 John 3.23, the verse that we went over a number of months ago. And consider these words that were just said. 1 John 3.23, and this is His commandment. Do not miss that. This commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He gave a commandment to us. You see, to believe in the Lord is a commandment. It's an imperative. It's not optional. To not believe is to find yourself in disobedience. To believe is to glorify the Lord. To believe is to reflect who He is in that glory of what He has done. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we glorify God when we recognize all that He has done. So we would ask, are you glorifying God in your life? Does your life demonstrate God's glory and the glory to Him alone? Verse 12 of Psalm 9, For He who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. The God who remembers, the God who demands sacrifice, as payment for transgressions, the God who requires and demands blood for blood. A reminder that this is the Lord whom we worship, that there is no transgression that will go unpunished. There is nothing that will be swept under the rug. Everything will be brought into the light of God, reviewed, examined, 
way. Because he is righteous and fully holy, as we discussed last week, he is holy, holy, holy. It requires payment for these transgressions for the Lord that dwells in the unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6.16 He who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. To Him be the glory forever there. This idea of light is there is no shadows within or around the Lord. All revealed, all revealed by the blinding light of God. All transgressions, all sins requiring payment for them. That reminder that He is not us and man is not like God. That God is a God that cannot be approached in any manner that we so desire. It's just an aside that's something to keep in mind. Just because you call it worship of God doesn't mean it's worship of God. The sons of Aaron would tell you a very true story about that when they approached with with unknown fire before the Lord, and the, the Lord consumed them in fire, and then immediately tells Aaron to not even shed a tear about it because they knew better. Psalm 50, 21 I'm going to turn there. Scripture 50.21 Get a little flavor of what we are talking about here. God speaking, these things you have done and I kept silence. God in His grace does keep silent for long periods of time. You thought that I was just like you. The warning that God is not like us. That He requires from us. That He cannot be approached in any manner. As David had said, He requires blood. He requires sacrifice. It says there at the end of 21, I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. In other words, I will point out to you the issues that I have, the judgment that I have with you. God has requirements for the transgressions against Him. We see that was first introduced in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. You know it well. That if you are to eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for surely you will die. For that sin... Reiterated later on after, after the flood receded. Genesis chapter 9, verses 4 through 7.
However, flesh with its life, that is, its blood, you shall not eat. Surely I will require your life blood from every living thing I will require it, and from every man, from each man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, swarm on the earth and multiply in it. It is the God who requires blood. He is the one that remembers. The God that requires remembers those who are afflicted. He remembers those of his that are found under persecution. He remembers his sons and daughters regardless of what they are going through. They are not lost in his memory. They are not overlooked. They are not ignored. These men and women who are, were suffering for the Lord in ancient times and are currently suffering for the Lord and will suffer for the Lord in the future, the lowly and the, afflict, uh, the afflicted, they will be remembered. They will always be remembered by the Lord. He has not forgotten them. He has promised to bring them into that safe harbor, into salvation. Psalm 17.8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We are hidden in God when we are found in Him through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are hidden from death, eternal death through Him. Found in Him, sing praises to Him for that saving work that He has done. Praise the Lord for all He has done and continues to do. That is our call to praise and worship Him, to glorify God, and to point to this God for all that He does and continues to do. It is why we are in church today. It is why there is no such thing as a non-church-going Christian. I am not talking about people that are infirm. But if you can walk, there is no reason to not be in church other than selfishness. You are fully glorifying yourself when you choose not to be in church. When you choose to be in kayaks or the golf course or the soccer tournament on Sundays at church frequently, and you claim to be a Christian, I have serious doubts about your soul. Because you're not reflecting the God who made you, who requires one morning of worship to Him during the week. You have said that my life is more important than what you have done. My life and my desires are more important than the God who saves, than the God who creates. Now hear what I said. Occasional is one thing. What I'm talking about is the frequent desire to not be a church. If someone came to me and said, well, I choose not to be a church, but I'm a Christian, I would say, well, I choose not to believe you're a Christian. Because Christ died for the church. That's how important it was. And you're saying, I live for myself. And what Christ did wasn't worth it. I'm just calling it the way it is. Your problem isn't with me. Your problem is with God. And on that day, you will have to answer for that lack that has been done. It is a warning that is clear in the Scripture 
Don't take it lightly. Don't believe me just because I'm saying it. Be a Berean and look at the Scripture and see what it says. We are called as believers, as being found in Jesus Christ, in our Savior, the one who died on the cross and bled for us to pay for our sins, the God who requires blood, right, has provided the blood for us, right? We are called to glorify Him for what He has done. To praise the Lord and point to Him as my Savior. To be different and not to be aligned with the world in doing that. We are called to live in a life of ever-increasing sanctification, looking more like the Lord. To live a life of sacrifice. Verse 13 of chapter 9, Be gracious to me, O Yahweh. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. He needs to be rescued from affliction. This David who knew God intimately, probably to a large degree, better than many of us did, could point to miraculous works as they occurred, who saw Uzzah struck dead at the moment he touched the ark, trying to protect it from hitting the ground. He needs rescued from those who disparage him, from those who pursue him. He needs God's grace. He needs his unmerited favor. He needs the mercy which God will show upon him, a sinner, like he does for us. For when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is a sinner who knows the Lord. David is a sinner who is found in the saving grace of God. He is reflecting the misery that he is feeling at the moment. He's calling out to the Lord in his misery, not holding it within himself, but he's calling out to the Lord, the one who saves. We don't know the situation, but we do know that he has had many experiences here, and he is still glorifying the Lord by asking the Lord to be gracious, the only one who can provide that grace and mercy. This misery and the affliction that he is feeling is the difference to the gates of death as opposed to the gates of the heavenly Zion. It is taking him away. He, is, he feels it that is taking me away from my Lord and Savior. We could picture David just laying beside the grave. Behind the op- beside the open tomb, ready to go into it. That's where he feels afflicted. That is how far away he feels. He cries out to the Lord, save me from these feelings. Save me from what is going on. You are the only one who can save. I cannot call out to Tony or Tom to save me. Only the Lord can do such a thing. He is caught in some state that only the Lord can save. To pull him away from the tomb, to pull him away from that, to pull him back to the gates of Zion, to pull him back to the holy city of the Lord that he knows. Maybe you have felt this way in your life. Maybe you are currently feeling this way in your life. Might I suggest that you call out to the Lord 
that you look into His Scriptures, that you review the promises that He has given, that He has paid the penalty for our sin and provided salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can't help but wonder or think about Jonah in this particular passage. A man who was who knew such feelings, if we look at Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God. He had been thrown into the sea, remember? He prayed to Yahweh his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out in my distress to Yahweh. Do not miss this. He is the furthest possible distance that he could be on this earth from the God he claims to worship. He has run in disobedience from God, from Yahweh, in what he has done. He has refused to take the message to the nation or the city of Nineveh. And he has found himself at the gates of death, in the belly of the fish. Much like David, I called out of my distress to Yahweh. And He answered me. I cried for help from the belly of Sheol. You, God, you, Yahweh, heard my voice. If we skip down to verse 6 of Jonah chapter 2, I went down to the base of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, but you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. For all you found in Jesus, He has done the exact same thing. He has brought you from the pit of death, from the gates of death, from the bars of Sheol, from the chains of this earth, and He has given you life. Now act like it. Glorify God in all that you do. Live a life that says, I believe in the God I claim to believe in, the One who saves. Brought from death to life. Everyone who is found here today, who is found in Jesus, has been brought from eternal death to eternal life. Brought up from the pit, from out of the grave. The chains broken off. We must act like we believe in this sovereign God who saves. We must turn to Him, the God of our salvation. When we feel the pangs of anxiety that gather around us, when we feel like we don't have the answers, when the doctor tells us something we don't want to hear, when the job doesn't go right, or the car breaks down, when the anxiety comes upon us, we need to cry out to the Lord in everything. And as Philippians 4 tells us, we must be thankful for everything that happens to us, including disease, unfortunate accidents, things that we don't particularly like at the moment. We need to trust and glorify that God who saves and who has provided that salvation for us and know that we are mere vapors here on this earth. 
When we call upon the Lord, we are glorifying Him, for He is the only one who can save and rescue us. I would much prefer we all call upon the Lord before we pick up the phone and call upon somebody there. Because the person on the other end of the phone might give you temporary relief or a little technique to get you through a situation, but they certainly cannot save you. Only God can do that, and He is the only one worthy of our praise and glorification. Psalm chapter uh, Psalm chapter 9, verse 14, our last verse. Now he has called out, "Be save me from this affliction. Save me from whatever is going on. And then he says these words, For this reason, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. Save me, God, so that I may praise you and praise you alone. Save me not so that I might feel better. Save me so that I can praise you and point to you in everything that is going on in my life. That daughter of Zion idea, that is uh, Israel, Jerusalem. We see it throughout the scriptures so that I may claim it there. So that at the gates of Jerusalem, that that can be claimed and that all the nations would hear who I am giving praise to and thanksgiving to in everything. And David is one that certainly knows. David is one that knows in this anxiousness, in this threat that he is facing. He knows proper understanding of who the Lord is or God is not like us. David is not going to make the mistake that he thought that God is like us. And think about where David was at. Turn with me, if you will, 2 Samuel 7. Second Samuel 7, verses 8 through 17. So now thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I myself took you from the pasture. Now remember, this is what God has done for David. I took you from the pasture as a shepherd, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them. And they, and they will dwell, excuse me, and I will, appoint a place, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed again, and the righteous will not afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Yahweh also declares that you 
that to you that Yahweh will make a house for you when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up one of your seed after you who will come forth from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. A prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ. I will be father to him and he will be a son to me when he commits iniquity. I will reprove him with the rod of men and the strikes from the sons of men. The idea that he will assume the sins of many even though he is not sinful himself. And by my loving kindness shall not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. This is the God who David knows. Glory be to God in the highest. David is rightfully placing that glory to the, that glory to the Lord. It is the God who saves, the God who David knows, the God who David knows his promises, knows that the Savior will come, the one who will be called Messiah. He knows the one to whom glory alone is given, and it is not him, David, that glory must be given, but to the Lord God, the triune God, the one who saves. We, then, can only glorify God through Christ by obeying that command from John, 1 John 3.23 to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We glorify God by obeying the Lord's commands. We glorify God by serving Christ in love. We glorify Him by serving others in love, not out of duty. We glorify the Lord, our Savior, when we become willing servants, willing sacrifices as obedient children through Christ. Romans chapter 11, verses 36 through Romans chapter 12, verse 1. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Which means truthfully. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service in worship. That we, when we find ourselves in anxious moments, that we would cry out to the Lord of glory to rescue us. And in doing so, we are glorifying Him by seeking our help from Him, the only one who can truly save. That we trust not in ourselves, but we trust in Him in the distant day that is coming when we will be with Him forever. We give, in closing, we give that glory to God, our image is being remade in Christ so that we can further reflect that glory of God back to Him. The cracks are being taken away or fixed. We are not perfect, but as we are being remade, as it would say in Romans chapter one verse, uh, Romans chapter twelve verse two, that we are renewing our minds. As we grow in our service, as we grow in our sanctification, we are more and more able to reflect back that glory to God, the one who has made us. We do that through upwardly our personal devotion, our adoration, how we live, 
confessing our sins and praying. We do it inwardly at the church, right? In the church by proclaiming the Lord Jesus here, by serving and giving here, and by living in unity with other believers. And then we project that glorification outwards and glorifying God by proclaiming our Lord and Savior, the only one who saves Jesus Christ to the lost in this world. I would suggest to you as we close this message that you think about how you are glorifying the Lord in the things that you're doing. Are you pointing to the Lord in all that He has given you and all that He has done for you? Are you considering who the Lord is in everything you do during the day in your quote-unquote secular job? That job that He has gifted you with? Or in your retirement? Or on your vacations? Are you glorifying God and pointing to all that He has given and done for you? I suggest that you consider this. Consider those words of Romans chapter 11, verse 36 through Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, your message, your, the, the, the grateful and timely word that we have. We consider that all that your hand has done, all that your hands have made, that, the, that you have created a universe that is so large, yet you have wonderfully created us in your image to reflect your glory back to you. We ask that you allow us to consider Consider this to understand more and more, which we understand how to glorify you more and more when we just study the Scripture, your word to us. Be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You would stand and join me as we close the worship through worship through song.